Well, uh, if you aspire to be married one day, or if you are married, regardless of the length of how long you've been married, I want to give you uh, this morning the X factor for a successful marriage. The X factor. Like if you want to have a successful marriage, what is the X factor? What is that one factor that will give you a successful marriage? So write this down if you want to be married or you are married. And the X factor is this, is a commitment to growth, a commitment to growth. If you're looking for an X factor in marriage, it's not how much money you make or where you live or the vacations you take and the Instagram photos you take and post. It's not any of those things. The commitment is this, where the husband and wife commit to grow together. And they look at their wedding day, not as the finish line, saying, oh, if I can just get to the wedding day, that's the finish line. No, the wedding day is actually the starting line. Those who view that their marriage, the wedding day is not the finish line, but the starting line to a lifetime of growing together. They found that that is the X factor to having a successful marriage. So for those who've been married longer than 20 years, 30 years, anyone, can y'all say amen to that? Um, now, I want to talk to you today about what is the X factor in a successful individual ministry. So if you say, you know what, I believe God is using me, wants me to serve and use my gifts both inside these walls and outside these walls. And then what is the X factor? It's the same thing for ministry as a collective body, as a church. What is the X factor for successful ministry? And we're going to find that today in Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2 and we'll discover what you're going to learn today is what's the X factor for successful ministry, both individually and as a body, as a church, as a family. And why this matters is because I believe God wants you to be fruitful in ministry. He doesn't want you to just flounder around, but to be fruitful. So what is the X factor for ministry? And last week we looked at this, that when we are faithful to God, faithfulness leads to blessing Unfaithfulness to God leads to bondage and brokenness, bondage and brokenness. And upon hearing about the brokenness, the physical walls being broken in Jerusalem, Nehemiah is brought to the point of mourning, fasting, and praying. That's what we looked at last week. He sees the broken walls. And so last week we studied and looked at whatever breaks God's heart, we're asking and praying for God to break our hearts. Whether it's people who have not heard the gospel yet, whether it's fatherlessness, whether it's issues in society that we see or in politics, what is it that breaks our hearts? Because God says that breaks my heart and it breaks ours. So we remember last week, the memory verse. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And so for now, we see this in verse one. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, not Nisan, the cars, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. So this is in March or April of the following year. So we looked at last week around Thanksgiving of 445 BC. Now we're looking at March or April of 444 BC, about four or five months later. And so during this time again, Nehemiah has been mourning, fasting, and praying. We don't, I don't think he fasted the entire four months, but he's been fasting and praying during that time, and God is beginning to, uh, is going to answer his prayer. Uh, and there's one scholar actually believes this is, he has the exact date, March 5th of 444 BC. He says, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified by replied, long live the king. 
Stop right there. Why was he terrified? Because the king usually in those days, Persian kings, you always had to have a smile on your face because it showed that you were pleased with a king. And so if you had a frown on your face and the king calls you out, you should be terrified because you wonder, is he going to execute me? Is something going to happen to me? And he simply says, long live the king to honor the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my answers are buried uh, is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse four, the king asked, well, how can I help you? And notice this with a prayer to the God of heaven. So underline that prayer. It's one of the 12 times again that he mentions that he prayed. I replied, if it please the king, if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territory on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Verse nine, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letter to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. So stop right there. So he's been praying and fasting and mourning now for four months about the broken walls. And now four months later, and he said, this is the first time he's ever had this sad face. The king notices his sad face and he says, what's going on? What, why are you so like, why is your world wreck? And he says, because the city, Jerusalem is in ruins. And then he says, the king says, what can I do for you? And you notice First Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. And that's what Nehemiah does. He doesn't stop and drop to his knees and pray. He says, right before he replies, he sends a prayer up to heaven. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't out loud. It was in his mind. And so he is continually praying. And that's something that we're all called to do as believers, to have this constant time of prayer. Pray without ceasing. And he prays. And uh, and God answers that prayer. So here's point number one. God answers prayer in his time and in his way. God answers prayer in his time and in his way. So I don't know if Nehemiah is expecting, I mourn, I fast, and I pray, and then a day later God answers that prayer. I don't know what you're expecting. But four months later, the things that he was broken heart over because they broke God's heart, God opens this opportunity, this door for him to now see his prayer answered. And it's probably not in the way he thought. I don't know exactly what Nehemiah was thinking. Maybe he thought, if I mourn, fast, and pray, that there's going to be some faithful Jewish folks who are already there in Jerusalem who are going to one day say, we're going to rebuild. Maybe there's a group there from Persia who said, hey, we need to fortify this city. It's one of our key cities. He didn't know how God was going to answer the prayer. But what God does is God says, hey, um, I'm going to send you. You're going to go with the king's blessing. And that's what happens again. God answers prayer in his own time, in his own way. Here's something you can write down for those of you who've been praying about a particular situation. There's four ways God answers prayer. Four ways that God answers prayer. The first one is go. The first one is go. You'll pray about something, a new job opportunity. Perhaps it's a new uh, 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 promotion at work or perhaps you're going to school or something else. And then God says go. He gives you the green light. And we've all been there before. We get the green light. 
The second one is no. Sometimes God does say no. The way he answers prayer, even though we want a yes or a go, God answers with a no. He gives us the red light saying, hey, don't do this. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. I love you and I care for you. And so the answer is no. And then the next one is this. You probably know what it's going to be. Slow, right? Sometimes it's a yellow light. God says, you know what? That's something I want for you, but right now the timing isn't right. If you were to get this right now, like it would, it would just mess you up. And so I'm going to say, slow down, slow down. He says, slow. But here's the other one. And we've probably all heard these things, right? Go, no, and slow. Here's the other one. For those of you who are like me, the fourth category is this. When God just says, yo, he just says, yo. For others, you may write down, whoa. When you just, God answers a prayer, right? And it's not a go, no, or slow. It's a whoa, right? Because God answers prayer in a way that you did not expect it, and it blows your mind. And all you can say is, whoa, or yo. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says this, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. And the context of Ephesians chapter 3 is this, is that the Jews and Gentiles were divided. They were separated, and they thought that one day, if we were ever to gather together and be one, uh, it would be like as Judaism 2.0. And then what uh, Paul says is, no, God has now created one new man called the church, and Jews and Gentiles from a divided world are going to come and worship together. And so your Jewish mom or Jewish grandfather or Gentile mom or Gentile dad, if you told them that God has a plan that we're going to worship together, it would have blown their mind. That's what he says God does. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Do you think Judaism 2.0? God says, nope, the church, the body of Christ. Um, God saved me, graciously saved me back in 1988, before some of you were even born. God graciously saved me in 1988. From that point on, when I heard the good news, I shared the good news with my brother, my dad, and my mom. And they heard the good news. And they're like, oh, that's just a myth. That's nice that you're religious now. This is your like spiritual phase. You're a holy roller now. Like, that's all great that it's helped you. But, you know, we've got a good life, you know. So from that point on, since 1988, I have been praying every single day for God to save my mom, my dad, and my brother. And this is how I thought it was going to go, because I'm starting to meet some missionaries from Japan and some other Japanese believers. I'm friends with a, a pastor in Japan on Facebook, and I thought one day he's going to post a video, and I'll share that video with my dad, and my dad will go, that's it, I, I believe, right? That's, I, that's how I envisioned it. You know, this missionary from Japan, he gave me some tracts and some Bible study stuff, and I gave it to my mom, and I thought she's going to read it one day and say, yes, I believe. That's how I thought it was going to happen. So uh, about a year ago, about a year ago, um, my mom called me. I was at work, and it was around uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 1.30. And she said, hey, I, I got a cold. I'm not feeling well. Can you come over and help me? And I said, mom, I've got all this stuff. I've got meetings and projects. But I said, my wife, your daughter-in-law, she gets off at 2 o'clock. So I said, I'll call Tara, see if she can come help you. So Tara uh, gets off at 2, goes and helps on my mom and cares for her. And then she comes home and says, yeah, your mom's got a little cold. She's really weak, but I'll go back tomorrow to just check on her. So she goes back the next day, which is a Friday. And she checks on my mom, cooks her dinner, takes care of her. And then he just says, hey, Icky, um, I'm going to stay the night. I just want to stay the night. I'll sleep on the couch, make sure your mom's all right. And I said, great, please do that. So I prayed with my wife, said goodnight, woke up the next morning. And like many of you, I looked at my cell phone. And on my cell phone were like 
dozens and dozens of texts, my wife and my daughters, voicemail also, two or three voicemails from my, my, my wife as well. And so I, I look at the text message and it says, your mom trusted Jesus last night. And this is how it happened. Tara, my wife said this, I put your mom to bed around eight o'clock or so. And so she was like too weak to even sit up. And so I laid her in bed, covered her. And then I went to the living room and then I was watching TV and finally I got tired. So I went to bed. She said around 11 o'clock, I heard your mom calling my name, Tara, Tara, Tara. So I woke up and I went into your mom's bedroom and she was sitting straight up. This is the same woman who's too, so weak. She had to lay down. She was sitting straight up and she said, Tara, I just had a dream and I saw Jesus. And Tara's like, you saw Jesus? And she said, yeah, well, well, what did Jesus tell you? And she said, Jesus told me to let go. And my mom had been holding on to ancestor worship and Shintoism. And so she said, Jesus told me to let go. And so then Tara says, well, do you want to let go? And she said, yes, I want to let go. So then Tara shared the gospel with her, shared about how sin separated from God and how Jesus Christ came to fill the gap and restore that relationship with God. And so Tara shared the gospel with her and my mom came to faith in Jesus Christ. After 32 years of praying, y'all, every single day, I heard like two of y'all clap. Y'all, y'all can clap on that. And that was, blew my mind. Because again, I thought it was gonna be a track or a Bible study or a video on YouTube I share with her. But Jesus Christ appeared to her in a dream and said, let go. Met her right where she was. And my wife, and if you know the relationship between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, my wife is the one that led her to Jesus Christ. Now, that's not the end of it, y'all. I went to visit her the next day, and my mom was a different one. Her countenance was different. Have you ever met somebody, right, who puts their faith in Jesus, and you're like, this is literally 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is a new creation sitting in front of me. Have y'all been there before? And so she had this different countenance about her. And then normally whenever I visit my mom, I'd always then say, Mom, can I pray for you? And then I'd pray for her. This time when I left, there were about two or three hours, she said to me, will you pray for me? Blew my mind. First time she'd ever asked me to pray for her. So I left, and then we called her and said, hey, do you want to share your testimony at church tomorrow? And she said, no, I'm still feeling a little bit weak from the cold, and so I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to do that yet. I said, okay. So then uh, Sunday passes, Monday passes, Tuesday. I'm teaching a class to a group of church planters through Houston Church Planting Network, a group of young pastors and they're there, and I'm evaluating their sermons, and I'm teaching them some basic stuff and some more advanced stuff on preaching. And then after I finish the class, because normally when I'm teaching a class, I put my phone up, I check my cell phone, and there's all these strange text messages and voicemails. There's a voicemail from the Friendswood Police Department. And at that, I knew something was up. So I called, and the sergeant said, hey, we regret to inform you, sir, that we just made a routine stop at your mom's apartment and found that she had passed peacefully in her sleep. And she said, we uh, suspect no foul play at all, but she passed peacefully in her sleep. So get this, y'all. My mom put her faith in Jesus Christ on Friday. And then four days later, she's home with the Lord. 32 years of praying. So if I can encourage anybody, if you've got a wayward son or daughter, if there's somebody that you know that you love, that you've been praying for God to save him, don't stop praying. Because God answers prayer in his time and his way. Amen? Amen? But here's the X factor. Here's the X factor. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 at the very end. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So he did exceedingly abundantly. He answered because not only will I give you all this stuff, he also says, the king says, I'll send these troops 
He didn't even ask for the troops and the army and the horses. They all go with him. And the reason why he says, and the king grant these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. And that's the key mentioned in Ezra and mentioned here. He says twice in this chapter, it's the gracious hand of God. If there's an X factor for successful ministry, personal, individual, collective as a church, is because the gracious hand of God is on your life. And that word gracious, the Hebrew word is tov, T-O-V or T-O-W-B, tov. And we say it this way, and hopefully you remember this. The word tov means good, pleasant, or beneficial. There's a Yiddish Hebrew thing that people say whenever they wish you good luck. They say mazel tov. Mazel means luck, and tov means good. So they still use it to this day. It's used in Genesis 50:20 when Joseph says to his brother, what you meant for evil, God meant for tov. It's the good, the, good, the goodness of God. And that is the X factor in successful individual and collective ministry is when God's gracious hand is on your life. Amen? And so this is what I want to do. Everyone watching online as well, would you now take 30 seconds, 30 seconds, and pray that God's good hand, his gracious hand, would be upon your life, your ministry. Would God's good hand would be on your marriage and your family. Would God's good hand be upon this church family? Because I don't know about you, but I, I want to do great things for God. I want this church to do great things for God. Amen? I want our future to be even greater than our history. And so would you pray right now, right where you are, right where you are, and if you want to pray with the people next to you, that God's good hand, his gracious, his tov hand would be on you, would be on your family, would be on this church. And those watching online, please as well. Oh God, we pray. God, we can have uh, 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 great musicians. We can have gifted members. We can have lots of money in the bank. We can have this nice building. We can have a beautiful campus. God, we can have seminary degrees and Bible college degrees. We can have trained staff. We can have equipped members. But God, if we do not have your gracious hand on us, God, God, we need your gracious and good hand on us. That if we don't, everything will be waste and for naught. So God, I pray right now for every single person sitting here that your good hand would be on their lives individually. And God, I also do pray that your good hand would be on this church. Master, we want to do great kingdom work for you faithfully. And God, we want to see our faithfulness translated to fruitfulness. So God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, hey I'm not even done yet, y'all. This, this is like a third in the sermon. I know I threw y'all off. Thank you all for coming up. I'm like, the band is up here. This is not the closing prayer. It's like 943. We were just testing you out, Mikey. We were just making sure. Okay, you okay, okay. Thank you. I should have told y'all we're going to pray in the middle of the sermon today. I believe I want God's hand on this church so bad we're going to pray in the middle. Okay. Um, so.
So point number one again, God answers prayer in his time and his way. And the X factor is God's gracious hand. And if, if I could be just uh, asking you, when, when you think of me as pastor of Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, would you pray, hey, Lord, would your gracious hand be upon Nikki? That's what I ask you to pray for me. Can you do that for me, please? Thank you. Verse 11, so I arrived in Jerusalem, and I hate that they use such a brief thing. So I arrived in Jerusalem, 900 miles, 900 miles, all right? So, so remove planes, trains, and automobiles. He, he walked and probably caravaned the 900 miles, all right? So here's something I want you to remember this, is our faith in God is demonstrated by our feet, not by our tweet. All right? So when God says go, when God says go, and he says, and you say whoa or yo, because he not only answers your prayer, but then says, I'm going to send an army officers and a caravan with you for protection on top of all these letters and the wood and all the stuff you need. He says, he says, you still got to walk 900 miles. All right? So then he says this, three days later, three days later, and I want to encourage you with this, y'all. I want to encourage you with this, is we have now in our very busy culture, busyness is a badge of honor, is we work out of a place of rest. There was first night, then day. So we sleep and then we wake up, then our day, day from our night, all the rest we got, now we can serve the Lord, we can do things. And so I want to encourage you all, whether you've walked 900 miles, whatever you've done, and you serve the Lord, I encourage you to find a time to rest. And so he says, three days later, not immediately, three days later. I got a text this morning from a good friend of mine who just lost his mom. Matter of fact, last Sunday, he texted me at like five in the morning, say, my mom just passed, and I'm still gonna preach. And I'm like, man, I, I'm gonna pray for you. But then he texted me this morning saying, hey, I love you. Thank you for coming to my mom's memorial. And he says, I'm gonna take the next two Sundays off. I didn't text back, you lazy pastor. Rest, take time off. So three days later, I slipped out during the night taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. So here's point number two, evaluate or examine and evaluate the brokenness. So he walks 900 miles or caravans 900 miles. He takes some time off, even though he's eager to get to work. He says, Lord, let me rest. And then he goes out in the middle of the night. Why does he go out in the middle of the night? Because he knows he's going to have opposition. So he has to do it stealth ninja style. He's creeping and peeping is what he's doing. He's going in like Jason Bourne under stealth. He says, because I know I've got adversaries. I know there's some who prefer the walls be broken down. So he goes out at night and he examines and evaluates the brokenness. And this is what I would like you all to do. If I can give you one application and I'll give you one for parents as well. Uh, it's not mentioned here, but I'm guessing because Nehemiah is a man of prayer that as he goes out to examine and evaluate the brokenness, he's praying as well. So I like for this church to do and for those of you watching online is sometime this week, preferably Saturday, because I'll be doing it this Saturday at 10 o'clock. This Saturday, what I'd like for you to do is go into your neighborhood, go to your workplace, go to your school, and I want you to prayer walk. And just like Nehemiah did, doesn't have to be middle of the night, I want you to go and say, Lord, give me your eyes, give me your ears. 
I want to see what you want me to see. I want to hear what you want me to see. And would you allow me to see the brokenness around me and see what needs to be solved? And these are the questions you can ask. How long has this been going on? And for Nehemiah, over 100 years, the wall's been down. What has been done already? Ezra chapter four says there's an attempt before to try to rebuild the walls that was squashed. And then who else is dealing with the brokenness? Is there anybody else who has a kingdom mindset who's already at work with the fatherless or with the orphans? Is there somebody else doing things with refugees? And for Nehemiah, he had both Ezra and Malachi. And then finally, why is this going on? Getting to the root. Because God, if you use me to just solve the fruit and we don't deal with the root, then we're gonna have this problem again. And so the root issue here is unfaithfulness to God. And so that's why Nehemiah and Ezra work hand in hand saying, you know what? I'm gonna rebuild the physical walls, but we've gotta revive people's heart that people would renew covenant faithfulness with God because God has been faithful to us and we must return and be faithful to him. Here's a note for parents. There's a lot of things I did not do well as a parent. I'll admit that. But there's probably a small handful of things that if I could just say every parent needs to do this, I would offer you is one of these things. And this is one of them. This is it. Is if I can encourage every single parent in here of a child is in high school, even college or younger, is to go to that school and prayer walk that school or even go to that school. There's many times my wife and I, 10 o'clock at night, we'd get in the car, we'd go to my daughter's high school or junior high school, we'd sit in the parking lot and we'd pray. And we'd pray and visibly it helps to remind us of the school. We'd pray for the administrators, we'd pray for the Christians who are students there and teachers and administrators that they'd be salt and light. We'd pray for school safety, amen? Can't take that for granted. So we pray for school safety. And if there's one thing out of a few things that I've done right as a parent, if I can encourage all the parents in here is to go to your daughter or son's school and regularly go and just pray. Amen? Can y'all do that? And I'm a runner, and so my uh, daughter, the younger daughter, from the front door of our house to the entrance of her school was exactly one mile. And so I'd run from our house to the school, and then I'd run around the whole circumference of the school, and as I was running, I'd begin praying again for the faculty, administrators, for the Christians on campus, for ministries like FCA and and Young Life on campus, I'd begin praying, pray for their safety as well. Then I'd come back and then run all the way home. So if I can encourage you to do one thing, it's to do that. So that's what Nehemiah does. He evaluates and examines the brokenness. I've got a good friend. He's slated to preach here in May, uh, David Hill. And David uh, left San Antonio to come to Texas Southern University. And while there, if you know Texas Southern, it's in the heart of Third Ward, he saw a lot of the physical brokenness in the community and felt compelled and called saying, Lord, something has to be done. He began to pray. He began to weep. And God says, it's you. And so this is what he did. He started Restoration Community Church 10 years ago. And now they are in Third Ward, South Union area, and they're getting ready to start an R, uh, something called RCDC, Restoration Community Development Corporation, because what they've been doing as a church is helping men who've been incarcerated, who now come back in society, help them find jobs, help them kind of readjust to being back, you know, in, in the life. But the biggest thing they have is this. For many of them, they've been apart from their children and their wives and their families for so long is to help them get readjusted to their wives and their kids again. And he says, 
brokenness, our fatherlessness, he says, just breaks my heart to see kids growing up with their father. What breaks my heart even more is now that these men are out of jail, out of prison, and they want to reconnect with their kids, their sons and daughters, and there's like a brick wall. He says, what I want to do is to bring that wall down. And so what he did was, again, he prayed. He sought what's been done already, who's been doing stuff, what are the needs in our community, and started Restoration Community Church, which tomorrow they actually celebrate their 10th anniversary, praise the Lord. And tomorrow afternoon, they've got an outreach there in Third Ward, South Union area as well on MLK Day. So that's what David Hill did. So examine and evaluate the brokenness. And here's the thing. Uh, let me wrap up here with two, two more points. Verse 16, the city officials did not know I'd been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And look at verse 18. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. So here's point number three. Selectively and wisely cast the vision and share the strategy. He says, we are in trouble. He says, we are in trouble. And he says, why? Because the walls are down. So selectively and wisely cast vision. Because he says in verse 16, he didn't immediately come in, traveling 900 miles, waiting three days and say, hey, Jewish leaders who are back from exile, let me meet with y'all. We need to rebuild the wall. He says he surveyed it. He looked at it. He took a group of people with him. And then when the time was right, he says, then he shared this vision of rebuilding the wall. So here's the thing. Uh, you can look at that next uh, slide. The one with the arrow, please. You can see this. And this is what I think every leader does is they present. This is where God has us. This is where God has us. And he says, he says, you know very well that the trouble we're in Jerusalem lies in ruins. He says, this is where we are right now. Then he says that the second part, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. The future, where does God want us to be with the walls are built and no longer under disgrace. So between where we are today and where God wants us to be, the vision is strategy and action, strategy and action, strategy and action. And again, you have to have timing, timing. I just finished reading through Genesis and in Genesis 37, if you remember, Joseph receives a dream from God. And what does he do? Just his naivete. He shares a dream with his dad and his brothers. And what happens? They, they throw him into the pit, right? Because they're so jealous of that. So there's a timing to which, and ultimately God's will was accomplished. Genesis 50, 20, as we know. But there's timing to this. I got an email, uh, or sorry, a Facebook message from a good friend of mine. Um, he's a professor at Rice. And he said, Icky, be careful, be careful. COVID cases are on the rise. And I said, I know that's where we are today. But I know our leaders here, we envision being able to worship safely together, being able to worship. And that's why this auditorium right now has half the number of seats it normally would have. That's our strategy. Temperature checks at the front. Masks. We're asking everyone to wear masks because you say, you know what? You, we're, you're going to wear a mask. I hope you are because you love yourself, but also because you love your neighbor as yourself, saying, I'm going to wear this mask so that if I'm a person who has it, I'm not going to give it to others. We do temperature checks. And then between services, we clean every single chair in here. We sanitize every single chair in here. And I wish we would just sanitize the ones that people sat in and so we can market or something. But we sanitize every single chair. During the week, we sanitize our kids' area because these are the strategies we're employing so that we can have a worship gathering. 
where COVID is not spread. That's what we envision. Jesus had this vision. Jesus saw condemnation, separation from God. That's the reality, the darkness that he saw. And so what Jesus did, he says, I see this kingdom. That's why Jesus preached the kingdom where men and women, boys and girls would put their faith in me and submit to me as their king and live a kingdom shalom lifestyle. That that kingdom, as what's done in heaven is done on earth, that they would experience that. And so what was the strategy? Jesus sacrificed his life. He gave his life. So again, he says, this is where we are. This is where God wants us to be. So selectively and wisely cast the vision and share the strategy. And then lastly is this. Look at verse 10 again. He says, or not again, go back to verse 10. But when Sambalot the Horonite, and men believe he was like a local leader, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they said the Ammonite, Tobiah's family was like this very influential family. They called him, some, trans, or some commentators call him like the godfather, like he was this informal leader in the community. They were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And it doesn't say exactly why, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing, if this one, Tobiah the Ammonite, was kind of the godfather, think mafia, he probably profited off destitution. He probably profited off marginalization. He profited off the poor and destitute. So he's like, you're going to help them find jobs and do all this stuff and get security again? He says, nope, I don't want that. We don't know for sure. He says in verse 19, but when Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Again, is it because it affects their power and their money? And they says, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they ask? Look at verse 20. This is our memory verse. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. So here's point number four as you wrap up. Expect opposition, but trust God. Expect opposition, when God breaks your heart for what breaks his, and then you mourn, fast, and pray, whether it's for months or years, and God shows you with a yes or a yo or a woe, and God says, this is what I want you to do, and you think, just because God has your back, don't assume that everyone else is going to either. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There are two rival kingdoms, and there is a kingdom that does not want the kingdom of light to advance and grow. And so we will always have opposition. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But here, Nehemiah replies, the God of heaven, and he uses God of heaven because it establishes authority. The God of heaven, who has all authority, will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. So he says, God has our back. We're not just going to sit idly by and say, go, God, you rebuild it. Go, God, you take care of it. He says, we're going to start getting to work. Because again, our faith, our trust in the Lord is demonstrated with our feet. Expect opposition, but trust God. I'll stop here. This is so good. Uh, just, um, Proverbs 20, 21 says, an inheritance given too early in life will lead to downfall. So here's the thing. You're young, you're immature, and all of a sudden you come into a lot of money. You don't have the maturity on how to handle that money. Amen? 
So before you play Powerball, before you do that stuff, think. There's a basketball player, which some of you in here will know the name when I say it. Some of you will, it's because fame is fleeting. Bobby Jones was one of the greatest basketball players in the 70s and 80s. Was a world champ with the Sixers, All-American, North Carolina. Strong believer. He knew that a kid with asthma, epileptic seizures, and irregular heartbeats shouldn't be in the NBA. And because of that, he recognized that God had him in the NBA for a reason. And he loved Jesus. Charles Barkley even said this. He says, if everyone in this world were like Bobby Jones, this world would be a different place. So in 1978, in 1978, he had just come off an all-star season. He gets traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. At the time, Pat Williams is a general manager. He's also a strong believer. He says, Pat, I don't know the exact conversation. I imagine going this way. Pat, he says, here we are, young men with millions of dollars, fame, temptations that other people just will never experience. And on top of that, when we lose a game, when we lose a championship, I just see these young men and it wrecks them to their core. He says, there's got to be more to life than just winning and losing games. There's got to be more to life than just being famous, winning championships and having more money than you know what to do with. And he says, but there's nothing right now in the NBA that I know of to help steer these young men in the direction of Jesus in the direction of God's word. And so what Bobby Jones did, this one who loved the Lord, as he saw players given into temptation, ruining their lives, as he saw men making just horrible decisions, as he saw men crushed under the weight of losing a game and finding their identity and winning, he goes to Pat Williams and says, something must be done about this problem. And so what they did says, let's do this. Let's examine to see what anyone else is doing. And so the NBA has been 32 years in existence by this point. It started in 1946. And they heard about a pastor in Houston, John Tolson. If you've been around Houston long enough, you've heard that name before. My good friend John Tolson was doing a Bible study before the game with some of the Houston Rockets. And so what Bobby Jones said was, let's start a Bible study before the games. Let's have a team chapel and let's have a team chaplain. And so in 1978, they had the very first team chapel and team chaplain for the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you thought, you know what, all of a sudden it went smooth, they found opposition. When they played the Lakers in the championship later on, the Lakers refused to give them any space for their chapel. So what they did was they had chapel in the hotel room before they got to the Great Western Forum. And now, because of that, every single team in the NBA has a chaplain. Every single team in the NBA has pregame chapel. Every single uh, team has a Christian witness, a chaplain who is leading Bible study, who's discipling coaches, discipling players. All because Bobby Jones says, you know what? These young men to have this much money, this much fame, this much of their identity riding on winning and losing is wrong. We need to say to them, Jesus Christ offers you identity in him. And in him, you're already a victor in Jesus Christ. In him, you have all the riches you'll ever want and need. 
And so they started because someone was brokenhearted over what he saw in the NBA. And again, that's my prayer for us is last week, whatever breaks God's heart would break yours. And when God says, you know what, go, or God says, yo, or whoa, you would go. And you're going to have opposition. But please remember this, the X factor, the X factor in successful individual ministry, successful collective church ministry is a good hand, the gracious hand of God on our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Master, I'm so grateful for the good hand, your good hand being on Bobby Jones and on all the NBA chaplain ministries, God. Thank you, God, that you've allowed me to participate in that. God, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. You've allowed me to disciple players and teach Bible study to men, coaches, and players that really trust nobody, that have everything this world has to offer and yet come longing and desiring for something more. And Master, we know that more is you. God, I pray again that your good hand, your gracious hand would be on our lives individually, would be on our marriages, would be on our families, would be on our young adults, would be on our singles. We'll be on our staff. We'll be on our elders. And God would we'll be on this church. God, you've given us something known as the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities. And God, that is an impossible task. So God, we need your good hand, your gracious hand to be on us. And God, as we mourn, fast, and pray, and you answer our prayer in your time and in your way, God, would the faith that we have move to our feet and move us to action. God, whether it's something like starting a church in the Third Ward and a community development corporation in the Third Ward, to help families and men, to build relationships between the police and the community. Or God, even if it's something like I mentioned in the video this past week, that all of us in here have been that new employee at a job and have feel isolated, lonely, and ignored. Because God, you broke our heart over that. God, help us to be the most welcoming person at our school and our job to welcome that new person, to invite them to lunch, to show them the ropes so we can be part of the solution, God, to be a kingdom representative, to be a kingdom witness, that we can welcome people just like Jesus Christ welcomed us. God, would you help us even to do that here this morning? If there's new people around us, that we would welcome them with the welcome of Jesus Christ, God. So God, last week we pray, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And as you answer that prayer again, help us take steps of obedience. And God, we pray again that your gracious, your good hand would be upon us. 
And Master, we ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come on up uh, to my right and to my left. If there's a prayer request that you have, we would love to pray for you. So please come on up. And if you have a prayer request, uh, you can pray with our prayer team. Also on the app as well, you can push on our app, submit prayer requests. We'd love to join you in prayer. The elders at Bay City Fellowship, Spring Branch, we pray every Thursday morning at 6.15 and we pray for your requests that you submit. So again, please come on up if you have a prayer need.